Today on Healthcare Highwire, Bryce Williams, the Information Security Engineer, and Sean Williams, Director of Information Security, will have a conversation about what's new in cybersecurity for 2022 and 2023. Thanks for joining us today on Healthcare Highwire. Hi, Bryce. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Sean, <laughs> for a Monday. So, I, th- I was going to say, it's, it is a Monday. Was it about a year ago that we were... Uh, on healthcare high wire talking about kind of security best practices and, and issues that we see in the industry. Yeah, I think it is cybersecurity awareness month season across the industry. So I remember, yes, that was about a year ago. Yeah. So in some ways, nothing has changed and in some ways, everything has changed in that, in that little bit of time, because everybody knows that follows cybersecurity this is a moving and shaking industry, and there's always new discussions about technologies and how to protect yourself from from yourself, uh, as well as the bad guys. That's exactly right. So it, yeah, it always seems like we have something that we just can't shake as an industry, and that seems to be continues to be phishing and ransomware. That's yeah. something that I know we talked about quite a, quite a bit last year still something that uh, everyone is still talking about quite a bit. Uh, and it, it sounds like those are things that we may be talking about next year and for a few <laughs> years. <laughs> sure. So do you have a couple good just off, off the cuff definitions for phishing and ransomware for people that may not be familiar with some of our terms? Sure. So again, hopefully folks are going to go back and listen to some of our podcasts about this. But yeah, so ransomware is... Basically, just it's it's a type of malware that usually will encrypt your data or it will keep you from accessing your data somehow until you pay. So it's kind of kind of like a ransom, hence hence the term ransomware. And then phishing is usually just I mean it's a whole class of attacks that's trying to get you to do something, often pay money or or contribute money in some way. There's variations on phishing ranging from spear phishing, which is like very highly targeted kind of phishing attacks, to smishing, which is SMS uh, phishing. So like kind of a phishing email or kind of a scam through text messaging. Or vishing, kind of the same idea, but maybe through voicemail or a phone call. Uh, so there's, there's all sorts of different kind of variations on that. And they're and they're all spelled interestingly, aren't they? Even phishing is with a ph instead of an f. Yes, yeah. This is not like fishing with your fishing rod. Yes, this is <laughs> fishing. Yeah, with, with a ph or again, all those interesting spellings for smishing or fishing. So you know, hopefully, everybody's a little bit familiar at least with some of this terminology. I would say that you know this this isn't just a healthcare issue. It isn't just uh, an IT issue. This is an issue that really impacts everybody that uses a computer. You know, the more access people have to things that are of value, the the more likely some kind of an attacker is going to want in on that and and be able to get access to the valuable things. So, you know, one of the things that we preach a lot is to follow best practices when it comes to things like patching. And when it comes to things like password complexity, 
and especially uh, in in the phishing cases using multi-factor authentication. I think we were talking the other day, and, and there's some kind of exciting things on the horizon for MFA, aren't there? Yeah, so just kind of something that the industry has been working on for many years, just because, you know, there's there's kind of a recognition that for a lot of people, setting up multi-factor authentication for every single one of their online accounts, like your email, your bank, maybe you have, you know, a couple different banks for maybe your 401k or, or some investment savings, you know, Grubhub or your, you know, some of the apps that you use can become a lot. And, you know, a password manager helps, but for a lot of folks, it's just, it's a lot to manage. So Apple, Google, and Microsoft have worked on a technology called Passkeys with an industry group called the FIDO Alliance. And they have developed something, or the, the Passkeys is what they've come up with. And it's, they're, they're aiming for a passwordless world or a Apple calls it post-password just because they always want to have their own special label for something. Absolutely. (laughs) So this is basically, uh, you know, the classic example of of logging in with MFA, like to a bank, right? Might be you go to bank.com and you type in, you hit the login button and you type in your username and password, and then you wait for your bank to send you a code. Uh, sometimes that might come through a text message. Sometimes that code might come in an email. Sometimes that code might come through like your uh, Google Authenticator app or something like that. It is, it's very inconsistent. Uh, and, and, password. That, and that's also where, you know, you, you mentioned the, the complexity of having multiple accounts with MFA. And, and as someone who has possibly dozens of accounts that use different forms of MFA, I can tell you that it is just about impossible to keep everything in one place (laughs) and certainly a challenge each time you try to log in somewhere. And I will say, even as a security professional, I will sometimes set up a couple different MFA factors for a website. And then I will once in a while get confused. I'll be like, wait, which code? Which code (laughs) do they want? So, yes, I, I can agree that it's kind of complicated. So this kind of old model is still susceptible to certain types of attacks. And not that the new passkeys are impervious, but they are pretty strong mechanism that's been developed over many years. So the new, the new method is you go to bank.com on your computer. You'll click the login button and you'll type in your whatever your username is. You'll tell them this is me, the user, and then your computer will look for your phone or tablet that is nearby over Bluetooth. And it will ask you on your phone, you'll have to say, it'll pop up a screen, it'll it'll say, hey, are you trying to log into bank.com? And you'll hit yes. And then your phone will respond to your computer with a unique digital signature, a digital key that your computer then sends on to the bank and the bank will, will say, hey, yep, that matches what, what we expected. And that'll be how you get in. So it's, it's a pretty seamless process. It sounds complicated, but it's basically you go to a browser, you hit OK on your phone, and then you get logged in. So, um, so, it's a- so basically you have to be there. You have to actually be the person holding the device next to your computer 
in order for it to authenticate. And that, that leverages biometrics too, correct? It typically will. If you have that set up on your phone, like, you know, face ID or a, a kind of a touch fingerprint type of factor, it'll let you, in most cases, it'll let you just use that. So for a lot of people, it'll be pretty quick. So just, just to go over kind of some of the details around MFA, basically when we're talking about MFA, we're talking about additional methods of authenticating your identity or, or proving that you are who you are. So something you know would be your password. Something you have would be like your, your phone or a, a token or something, you know, some kind of a hardware device. And then something you are would be that biometric feature set, which could be retina scans or bone density scans or fingerprints or, or whatever. So, you know, when we're talking about different factors of authentication, we want to have at least two of these mixed together to make it harder for the attackers to spoof one or the other and, and try to convince the system that they're you. And now it's, it's going to the next step where essentially you have to have your device with you or else it's not going to let you in. Right. So yeah, we're getting rid of the something you know, which is the password, right? And we're moving straight to something you have, which is your phone, and something you are, which is your face or your fingerprint. Again, one of the other kind of major benefits, especially since I uh, actually was doing some research for this podcast, uh, one of the attacks that's been rising kind of through 2022 and is expected to continue into 2023 is that with the deployment of MFA, uh, pretty broadly now, especially in business, uh, crime groups are perfecting their methods to get around MFA. And so having that proximity or requiring that uh, your login has to come from a phone that's physically close to your computer can really help combat some of those more advanced attacks against MFA. And really, this this isn't just your typical high school kid in in their basement trying to, to hack into a system. This is actually like organized crime. Like they, there's actually enough money in this that they pull groups of attackers together kind of under one umbrella so they can exchange code and tricks and exploits and just really focus on trying to make money, essentially, right? That's exactly right. I mean, and these are very sophisticated groups. If our company needs like new wireless access points with the cool, like, the latest, greatest new, you know, Wi-Fi standard, we would go buy that from like Cisco or Netgear or Aruba. Uh, and they would, you know, have new products, new services, new offerings that, that have the latest features. Crime groups are actually, they work amongst them, themselves. So some of the crime groups are actually offering new services for these MFA bypass attacks. Again, it's like a whole underground economy. Uh, it's, it's very sophisticated. It's surprising with all this going on that, that Bitcoin has dropped so much. <laughs> right. Yes, it is a little surprising. This might be a good segue into maybe some state-sponsored activity that's been going on, at least in the context of the past six or eight months. So obviously, you know, global tensions are high with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And although we haven't seen maybe wide-scale cyber attacks by Russia. We've, we've seen maybe some heightened, or, or we're on alert, I guess, where we're waiting for maybe a big cyber attack. And I know 
you know, a cyber attack doesn't necessarily have to be focused in one area. And sometimes even if it is focused on one area, there could be spillover that was maybe intentional or unintentional. And certainly there's, there's opportunities when uh, a major state sponsored initiative is going on to actually kind of obfuscate other things that are going on as well. So you, you may have a, a big, you know, DDoS attack, or you may have a broad spectrum brute force attack on a bunch of systems. And there are literally, there could be other things going on in the background that you're just not noticing because you're, you know, you're paying, it's like the magician, right? You know, you're, you're paying attention to the, the bird flying away when he's actually cutting somebody in half. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when we're talking about state sponsored attacks, uh, we're talking at least in the context of the global tensions that are currently go- ongoing. Uh, we're talking like military cyber operations. So these would be things that might involve a lot of deception. They might also involve attacks on civilian infrastructure. And again, we're not really seeing that here in the United States as much. But the uh, conflict is far from over. And so who knows what's going to come. I think it's just a good time to remind folks, you know, be aware that there you know, could be any number of of interesting or unusual cyber attacks that might present themselves in the next several months. Well, and I I can tell you from working in the the energy sector, there's been significant concern around protecting our infrastructure for years, if if not decades now, because there's, you know, people that do realize that that our our infrastructure isn't all it's cracked up to be. Um, and there needs to be some significant investment in, in technology and security to prevent those kind of, kind of attacks in the future. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think the United States has recognized that in the past, and I think we've made some significant progress in the last you know, couple decades. But that doesn't mean the work is done, and it doesn't mean there can't be something new or a new opportunity that presents itself. So. Just a reminder, I don't think I don't think anything is imminent, but you know, when you're talking about cyber weapons, and, and these are kind of like this is kind of a new thing. I think we've seen a few state sponsored or military sponsored cyber attacks in the last couple decades, 20 years, but they're rarely used. So I think it's it, they're still kind of maybe not very well understood uh, by the general public. So I think it's just something to be aware of. We're all in this together. We'll we'll see what what happens. Yep, exactly. So, you know, we've we've kind of gone down a rabbit hole here of of kind of the the big bad things that are out there in the world. Uh, but there's certainly certainly steps that an average user can take to protect themselves from bad things happening on a regular basis, like through through banking, through shopping, through things like that. Um, you can you have kind of a a, a top few things. Uh, that an average user could do to help secure themselves? Yeah, I would say definitely. We kind of mentioned it towards the beginning of the podcast, but I think the average user just is going to be more affected by, I think, what has sort of become the routine data breach where, you know, some some company, you know, messed up and lost a password or someone clicked on a phishing link and now, you know, maybe some, some email addresses or, or some PII got leaked. I, I think at this point, most people have probably experienced the data breach. So hopefully most people kind of understand what to do to, to respond to that. 
sometimes there's not much you can do. It's just kind of, you know, be ready, be aware, monitor your bank statements, monitor your uh, credit report, you know, just kind of keep an eye on, on things, look for funny, any funny business going on. Uh, obviously, implement MFA if, if you can. I know some websites or some companies still have not implemented MFA and other companies are, you know, have just implemented it or just have the basic MFA set up. And I think uh, here in the next couple of months, we will see Apple, Google, and Microsoft deploying those pass keys. You know, iOS 16 was just very recently released and that has Apple's version of pass keys already available. But now some of the websites that might use it have to implement the technology to, to turn those on. I think it's important to mention there too, for your for your average user at home, the the companies that we're talking about don't necessarily force you to do any of this. In fact, a lot of times it's an option. So if you're not actively trying to pursue a higher level of security on your own, check and see if you know your Facebook account does MFA because I know it does. Check and see if if you you know most of the time Microsoft now and Apple. I don't think they even let you create accounts anymore without MFA turned on, but certainly there's other sites and other services out there that it may be an option that you just haven't turned on. So always kind of go over and check your user account. And a lot of times there's a dedicated section of like security and privacy. And a lot of this stuff is going to be in there if it's available. And if it's available, you should definitely be using it. Absolutely. Right. And you're exactly right. Like I think Microsoft and and Apple kind of force those, you know, secure by default options. I think with Microsoft, you can go back later and turn it off, but they won't let you start off that way typically. But you're right. So if you went through, if you listened to our podcast last year and you kind of went through some of your accounts, maybe, you know, your important email accounts or, or financial accounts and you looked for MFA and it wasn't available yet, Maybe go back and look now, uh, you know, about a year later. Maybe, maybe some changes have been made and those options are now available. I know one of the banks I've worked with has deployed new software in the last year that now enables MFA or as an option, but you have to go turn it on. Bryce, I think you mentioned that our previous year's podcasts are available. Are those, are those coming out again soon? Are those going to be re-released? Yeah, this week, I believe. And uh, you should be able to find those in the Healthcare Highwire podcast feed uh, right near the top. And uh, we're just here providing some additional context and a few updates. But really, our advice from last year is largely still relevant. Agreed. And I think, you know, everybody, if you haven't heard the podcast from last year, definitely go back and check those out and hopefully... The information we provided today will will supplement that, and we will see you again soon. So for Healthcare Highwire, this is Sean Williams and Bryce Williams, no relation. Thanks a lot. Have a good day.